Thank you for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. Today's talk is given by Father Paul Koska. To support the Servants of Christ Jesus, please visit scjesus.org. invite you to open up to Isaiah 48, starting in verse 17. So Isaiah 48, starting in verse 17. This passage, I, I think, is significant in a number of ways, um, partly just because it reminds us of the Lord. The Lord himself says, I am the Lord your God. And then the second and the third parts I want to focus more intently upon It goes on to say, who teaches you to profit. And the interesting thing about this is I didn't uh, know Father John was going to as extensively treat the parable of the talents. But if you think back to that third person, the person doesn't lose the talent. It wasn't like they lost the talent and like, sorry, master, I lost the talent. The problem was that that particular person did not profit from what they were doing. Um, And so similarly here, the Lord teaches us to profit, not just to remain stagnant, but to profit. And it goes on to say as well, who leads you in the way you should go. And then there's this promise of righteousness that would flow like the waves of the sea. And your offspring would have been like the sand, the abundance of offspring. And so the promise of the Lord here is that we would profit. And so part of what I'm inviting you to consider as we talk about listening to the voice of Jesus is the fact that the Lord is not just wanting you to remain as you are, literally, like to remain stagnant, but that he desires that you profit. And discerning the voice of Jesus and listening to the voice of Jesus is not just about not sinning, but it's about flourishing and being fruitful for the kingdom, just like we saw in the parable of the talents and we hear promised by the Lord and the prophet Isaiah. And the Lord himself promises that he will teach us the way that we should go. It's not just like we're guessing or hoping, but it's this promise of the Lord that I will teach you the way you should go. And so then we just have to open up our eyes to see what the Lord is doing, open up our ears to listen uh, to his word. But the challenge with listening to the voice of Jesus is that there is a cacophony of other voices that vie for our attention. And one of the things I dislike the least, just in general, is if I'm trying to have an intense conversation with somebody in a really loud environment. So I don't actually like prefer big parties or like loud bars, if I'm trying to have a conversation with somebody, because it's hard to hear their voice because there's so much other noise going on. And one of the places I like the best uh, that's actually near to you is this place called Ashbury Provisions. It's like this little mom and pop sort of bar place, but there's no screens. There's no like TVs going on. And so you can just like be with people and talk to them without... And it's not usually like crazy loud, like it's pretty like of a cultured place and they've got like nice food and stuff. And so I like being there because I can listen to what a person is saying. Versus if I was to go into a place with a lot of noise, it'd be hard to pay attention 
at least for me. Um, and so, so part of the challenge in trying to listen to the voice of Jesus, which is what we're invited to do, to listen to the way that the Lord is showing to us, is the cacophony of voices. So what are some of the other voices that are vying for our attention? I'm just going to list off a few and try to explain them a little bit. So the first one, other than the Lord himself, which I'll come back to how to listen to the Lord, is the voice of the enemy. In the Gospel of John, it talks about how the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus promises life, but the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the primary way I I would propose to you that the enemy tries to steal, kill, and destroy in terms of us doing what the Lord is asking and listening to the voice of the Lord is the enemy often dissuades us through fear and discouragement. I remember on a plane in the past few months, I, I didn't watch all of this movie, but I, I re-watched part of Revenge of the Sith, the last like of the prequel movies. And while I don't think that the uh, acting, you know, especially of that hating Christensen guy, was very good most of the time, I do think there's, a partic- there's an instance, the interactions between... Uh, the Palpatine guy, and Anakin Skywalker. It's interesting how Anakin falls. Like, he basically falls out of fear, fear of Padme dying. And, and like, the whole, like, crux of him falling away from his, the path that he was on was out of fear. And I think that the enemy often does that for us. And sometimes it's like we're directly afflicted, you know, by just we're trying to think about what we're going to do or we feel called to do something. And we're afflicted just like in a spiritual experience or maybe somebody else proposes like a reason for us to be afraid of trying to follow the Lord. And the reality is, is that fear is empty. Fear is empty. There's lots of reasons why I couldn't have done what I did. There's lots of reasons that, of, that could have been potentially like fearful things that have, could have happened with the community starting that could have inhibited me from trying to follow the Lord. I was 18 years old. I wasn't even finished with school. I didn't actually, like, if I, if I go back and look at the vision that, that, was, uh, that I helped to create, like, I wasn't perfectly living any of the things that were being described, and I was striving for some of them. But I wasn't, like, an expert in Ignatian spirituality. Uh, I, I wasn't an expert in almost anything described on the list. I felt called to it, but I wasn't perfect at it. And so there's lots of reasons why I could have just decided, like, this this is impossible, or, like, who starts a religious community? Like, normally priests do that, right? I wasn't a priest. Um, And so there's lots of reasons to potentially be afraid. But the Lord, in my experience, doesn't work through fear, He works through trust. He works through confidence in him, confidence in his faithfulness to us. And so we're invited to trust in the Lord, not to give in to the fear, not to allow the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy our joy. So that's the first thing, is the enemy seeks to work through fear often. The other voice that vies for our attention, I would propose, is the voice of the world. So in Catholic theology, we talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the world, the world ultimately, in my experience, proposes comfort. Comfort is the thing that the world proposes. 
And so that will vie for our attention. That will vie as a voice that's a possibility for us. And there's something fundamentally uncomfortable about following Jesus. And one of the experiences that we had early on when the community was being founded was the invitation for us to step out of the boat and walk onto the water towards Jesus. And stepping out of a boat onto water would be uncomfortable, like if you physically were trying to step out onto water. That'd be, that was an uncomfortable experience for St. Peter. And so the invitation of Jesus is almost always, in some fashion, going to be uncomfortable for you. And to remain in whatever you're currently doing is always going to be, in a sense, more comfortable than the new thing that the Lord is inviting you to step out into. And even just like in your normal college experience, right, starting a Bible study that doesn't exist and inviting guys into it, that's an uncomfortable experience because they can say no. And so anything new that the Lord is doing often is going to feel uncomfortable. And specifically, it's contrary to the proposal of the world, which is basically strive for your own comfort. Go the easy path. It's easier to not do penance than to do penance. It's easier to do an easier penance than to do a harder penance. And so the the world will constantly propose comfort. But as Pope Benedict um, has said a number of years ago, and many people have quoted, the Lord doesn't call you to comfort. He calls you to greatness. Then uh, the, the other voice that's often in young men's ears is the voice of their families. Now, your families are, and my family, are good people, I, I, as far as I understand. I haven't heard anybody who has, like, you know, criminal parents or whatever. Um, and so the voice of your family is not necessarily a bad voice. However, families don't often necessarily, uh, are not often the, the cause or, like, the source of a vocation. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes people point out, But in my experience, uh, my family was not opposed to my vocation, but they're definitely not the source of my vocation. And if you were to ask my mom, you know, before I had the experience where I felt called to be a priest, like if you asked her in the days leading up to the retreat where I felt called to be a priest and asked her, you know, is is Father Paul going to be a priest? She would have like laughed at you. Right. And and it would have been like completely absurd. Or if you asked my parents when I was first going to Franciscan, do you think your son will come back, you know, after, you know, during his second year? And when he comes back from that, you know, spring semester of 2004, that he's going to have started a religious community. No, like they would think that was completely absurd. And they were somewhat confused by the fact that, like, I showed up at the end of that first semester or at the end of the spring semester of 2004 in like a uniform that we, I wore every day. And my dad was like, why are you wearing the same thing as you did yesterday? Um, and maybe I should have explained it and anticipated it better. <laughs> but as Father John knows, you know, I don't often uh, communicate excessively. Um, and so our parents, right, um, and our families often are concerned about, you know, us being safe, right? Often our parents will say, if we go on a trip, like, be safe, right? Which is not a bad thing to be safe. But worldly success and being safe all the time is not necessarily what Jesus is about. Jesus is not about, like, just making sure we're safe all the time. 
Uh, Jesus invites us and has invited men throughout the history of the church to be missionaries in places that are dangerous. Brother Andrew is named after St. John de Brebeuf, who went to a dangerous place. And the, sometimes the missionaries like, got physically tortured. Some of them got sent back to Europe and then went back again and did the same thing and then died. Um, and so the Lord obviously is not just about safety and comfort and risk management. But that's often what our families are concerned about. And there's a legitimate concern there. But the voice of Jesus is different than just the voice of our family's concern for our own success, our own mitigation of risk. The other, the other voice that's often in our lives, which isn't, you know, again, a bad voice, is the voice of our friends. And our friends... Often, the biggest thing that they're usually about is about just familiarity. Right? It's like, we just want like the same August that we had like before, right? Or we just want like, I just want to know the same, James, I don't want James to change, right? Because James is familiar to me. And so we just like want our, our friends to remain the same. We don't want them to do something like totally radical. And they don't want necessarily us to do something particularly radical, and this was very early on in my experience. I realized, like, this is a voice that I can't necessarily identify with the voice of the Lord. Because the guy that was an essential part of my conversion, Andy Hickman, he felt called uh, when he was at University of Texas to leave University of Texas behind and come to go to Franciscan and study theology. And all of his friends basically, like, opposed what he was doing, his fraternity at, at UT, opposed what he was doing and just, like, abandoned him. And so since my, you know, very early on in me trying to follow Jesus, I realized like friends are not bad, but friends are often not necessarily explicitly the voice of Jesus always in my life. And so I need to be willing to not listen. I need to be willing to consider the voice of the Lord, to try to find the voice of the Lord amidst all of these other voices. And then the last voice that's sometimes the most challenging is the voice of the flesh, right? Of my fallen self, my fallen self. And, and so this isn't an outside voice necessarily, but this is often a voice that can be sometimes the hard one to distinguish, the fallen part of me. And I would propose that the voice of the flesh is basically focused on compromise, Right, comp either compromising my principles, like my moral principles, or at least like, trying to come up with some compromise in my mind that doesn't like, cost the full amount. It does, I want to try to figure out a way so this doesn't cost the full amount of what Jesus is asking of me. Like, Lord, isn't there like, another way that you can do this other than like this sacrifice? Isn't there some other way that I could accomplish this without having to do exactly what you're saying? And so we're invited to not listen to the voice of compromise, but to listen to the voice of the Lord. And the voice of the Lord is the one who is the source of our, our vocation, the vocation that he desires for us. And a vocation, in my opinion, um, is... a something, a calling to fulfill some particular mission in the world for his glory. And it calls us uh, to sacrifice. 
The vocation that the Lord has entrusted to us calls us to sacrifice. The vocation that the Lord calls every man to is cross-centered. The the vocation is going to have something to do with the cross, which means it's going to be both an experience of suffering, but also of redemption. And the suffering and the redemption are mysteriously interconnected. And in order for it to be redemptive, it's mysteriously connected with suffering. Um, I would propose also that a vocation is always sacrificial and that it requires me to give up something in order to follow what the Lord is doing. For example, right, in my own life, right, so I, I'm at Franciscan. Uh, I got to Franciscan spring of 2003, and I was in the priestly discernment program thing uh, for like a week, and then I found the guys to be a little strange. And so I, I left, and I eventually intended into a household called AMDG. I uh, was an intent to AMDG, like a pledge, that whole spring semester. I got used to like actually studying and doing school, right? Because like when I was in high school, I didn't really do well at that. Um, and so my first semester academically was somewhat challenging, but then the fall... I felt like I kind of like hit a rhythm and I was doing better in school. Um, and so the fall was doing well in school, got involved, uh, got into AMDG, and then also started helping out a life team parish in town. So everything was going really well. But towards the end of that semester, I had this kind of mysterious lack of peace in my, in my heart. And it was weird because academically I was doing well. I got an end to AMDG with the household I wanted to get into. Uh, you know, the Life Team Parish thing was going fruitfully. So it was kind of confusing. Like, why do I have this lack of peace even though everything's going well? I'm at the university that I want to be at. You know, there's nothing like bad going on. Like, why is there this lack of peace? So at the end of the semester, I go home, back to Houston. I meet up with the vocations director, of the Archdiocese of Houston. And I say like, hey, this is what's going on. Do you think I should leave Francisco and go to the college seminary in Dallas? And basically he says, no, uh, remain at Franciscan. But he doesn't really necessarily illuminate for me why I had um, this lack of peace. And so I end up meeting up with Thomas Yeager and we went to do a holy hour at uh, St. Therese Parish, I think is the name of it, in Memorial Park uh, in, in actual Houston. So I was like in a suburb, but Thomas was in living in Houston, so we met up in actual like Houston, Houston. And so we uh, prayed a holy hour there and then went to this Mexican restaurant. And so that's why, uh, as part of the vision statement, you can't see it because it's an invisible ink, but Mexican food is part of our charism as well. So if you don't like Mexican food, I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to have to ask you to, to leave at this time. No, but um, so we go to this place uh, and we start talking about St. Ignatius of Loyola and, you know, the formation of St. Ignatius and the poverty of St. Francis. And we're talking about it. And I realize during my time there and and in the holy hour as well, like that the Lord is calling me to religious life in some fashion and and in this particular fat in this particular way of of something to do with St. Ignatius. And so we get back 
that Christmas break ends. We get back to school. We meet up again, Thomas and I, and there's this, again, like for me, I need to do something about this. And it's kind of like my personality. Like if I think of an idea, then I want to do something about it rather than just letting it be an idea. So I, Thomas and I talked. Uh, Thomas met with his spiritual director. And then I met with that same spiritual director. And I described in that time what I was feeling called to do. Then all three of us met. And uh, while all three of us met, uh, the director asked Brother uh, Thomas the same question. Thomas shared what he was feeling called to, and both of our descriptions of what we felt called to were the same. And then all three, uh, and then little did we know, though, that the spiritual director had a list from, like, I think 13 months before with the same description of the charism. And so we realized, you know, the Lord was bringing us together. And we're sitting there, and that's when that, the image of uh, Jesus calling us out of the water came to mind. I shared that with Father John. The director was Father John. And then uh, I shared that with Father John and Thomas. And that was, you know, we all felt free to try to follow what the Lord was doing. But I realized, you know, in those days following, you know, that this call was going to require sacrifice. Like eventually I realized it was going to require like in the, that I wasn't going to live on wing. I was going to live with the household guys like on wing. I was going to live in a house off campus. I realized, you know, my comfortable life of waking up when I wanted, you know, was going to end because we like committed to praying in the morning. Uh, and so there was all these things that started to, you know, be things where I was going to have to give up my own way, my own plan. Uh, for the way of the Lord. And so sacrifice is always part of trying to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that life is perpetually miserable, but it does mean that you have to be willing to lay down certain things in order to follow Jesus. And so it's always cross-centered. It's always sacrificial, even though there's redemptive beauty in it. The other thing is, is that Jesus' call is so it's cross-centered it's sacrificial but jesus call also creates capacity mysteriously um so do i think like that i had the natural capacity to do everything that the lord has called me to do i don't know but i do know that jesus when he calls me he creates the capacity within me so that i can do it you know i I'm kind of a weird person now in the sense that before I hated waking up early and now I like compulsively, you know, wake up early to pray. Um, and even when, you know, I could pray later, even with our, our own schedule, I, I tend to pray earlier. And I think that's just something where Jesus's voice, Jesus's call, it creates something, it creates a capacity and ability within us that maybe we don't even think we have. And so we can trust in the voice of Jesus. Because just like when St. Peter was called out into the water, it wasn't like Peter had a natural ability to walk on water. But Jesus, when he called him, created it in him. And so sometimes we can get afraid, like, I don't know if I could do this. Like, or 
Jesus, you're saying I'm supposed to do this, but I don't see this in myself. And all we have to do is trust that Jesus' voice, Jesus' word, both in the scriptures and in the call in our life, will create something within us to give us the ability, to give us the grace uh, to be able to follow after him. Because our, the vocation, the call of Jesus, that Jesus has for us, the origin of our call, the origin of our even just trying to follow Jesus in any fashion, it all comes from him. It all comes from his grace, which is a gift to us. Not because we earned it, not because we're really awesome, but because he calls us and loves us and chooses us. And so we can trust in the Lord. We can trust in his faithfulness to us. We can trust in the power of his grace. And so I'd like to take a little time uh, for us to try to listen to the voice of Jesus. And so I invite you to um, open up to Matthew chapter 8. So Matthew chapter 8, starting um, in verse uh, 29. So this is invite you to take, you know, 30 seconds, just read uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 uh, to 27. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 to 27. So what we're going to uh, do uh, for just a little bit of time is uh, we're going to take a time just to pray with the scripture. And what I invite you to do, so I'm going to try to describe it and then I'll lead you through it as well. So what I like to do is we'll begin with the sign of the cross. And I just want you to try to call to mind or ask Jesus to reveal to you some storm in your life right now, some area of your mind or heart where there's like tumultuousness. So you're gonna call it to mind. You're trying to think about, okay, where, where is some area of tumultuousness in my mind, in my heart, in my life right now? And the second step will to try to, you're gonna bring that before Jesus. So in your own heart, you're gonna say, Jesus, I recognize my anxiety about, for, okay, for me, you know, I've realized my anxiety about how do I be fruitful in this, like, time of ministry where, you know, the university is going online and what am I supposed to do with my time, like the anxiety of that, because I don't want to just, like, waste, waste time, so I'm anxious about that, so I bring that before Jesus, and I say, Jesus, I give this anxiety to you. And then I just want you to listen for Jesus to say something to you about it. So I'm going to lead you through this, but just to preview, you're going to try to call to mind some tumultuousness that's in your mind and heart, something you're worried about. You're going to present it to Jesus, and you're going to listen for Jesus to speak into that. Does that make sense? Three steps. Cool. So... Uh, however is most comfortable for you to, uh, however is most fruitful for you to pray, not comfort, because that's what the world offers. So uh, if whatever's going to be most fruitful for you, so you could kneel, uh, you could stand, you could 
be prostrate on the ground, whatever is going to be fruitful for you to be able to pray uh, well. Whatever that posture is, uh, as we enter into this prayer, uh, feel free. Feel free to do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So, Lord, we come before you this night, and we just take a few minutes, a minute or two, to call to mind, to ask you to reveal to us, Jesus, some area of our heart where there's a lack of peace, an area of our heart where there's tumultuousness. So reveal that to us in these minutes, Lord. <clears throat> 